Yes, that light falls on the right, babe. Not that Maggie's back in on the fan on this Thursday morning. McMonagle here with you on the overnights. I got you for three hours till five o'clock. 877-337-6666. Me and you for three hours breaking it down. Breaking what down, you ask? I don't know. How about the World Series? It's over. The baseball season has come to an end. The Texas Rangers, for the first time in their history, filled with Yankees who like to take pictures together, couple of Mets starting pitchers who really didn't impact it, but I'm curious how you feel about it. But the Texas Rangers are World Series champs. We'll start with that a little bit. We'll get to the Giants in the open as well, too, as their season's coming to an end. But an important stretch here, believe it or not, in how you view the team and the coach. But we start with the World Series. Real quick, 5 nothing over the Arizona Diamondbacks, who... You know, we gave a valiant effort, but we're no match for this Texas Rangers team that, for me, is a bit of a conundrum when you look at them, right? And in, in many ways, it does speak to the crapshoot of baseball in one way where a dominant baseball team for much of the year falls apart at the end. The bullpen doesn't look very good. We all know how important bullpens are. The bullpens are terrible down the stretch. They blow the division up until the last game of the year, lose the last game of the year, have an under 500 record on the road all season long, lose the division the last game of the year, have to fly all the way to Tampa Bay to start a um, a wild card series that, quite honestly, I don't think anybody thought they would win. At least not most, you know, I certainly didn't. I thought Tampa Bay was going to have their way with them and that bullpen. And then they just go on to never lose on the road. And they go right through, like a hot knife through butter, pretty much this entire postseason. And they've done it in a way where, okay, yeah, like I just said, maybe a little bit of a crapshoot. Maybe some of the, they go out and get and spend money and get Jacob deGrom. And they go out in this year and he absolutely does nothing. And yet they still win with him. And that's really the story of this team is both a little bit of that, a little bit of pulling off some magic being better than they are, certainly in the bullpen and different guys, playing on the road far better than they did all year, becoming a better team the last two, three weeks than they were the last two, three months, and playing a brand of baseball they really hadn't played the entire second half of the year and coming through. But it also signifies the way you want to build a team, right? They do it the right way, and they do, not, and they do answer a couple questions. One, you understand you have to go spend. Right, I know, especially as we relate everything to our our local baseball teams, you have the owner of the Mets who's obviously willing to spend. He comes in as the richest player, richest owner in baseball. He goes and gets Lindor in the trade, and then t- gives him a ton of money. You know what he's willing to spend? Highest payroll in baseball. He brings in the the top of the rotation, the Scherzers and the Verlanders, 
and he spends money on to bring back his players, and they have the highest payroll in baseball. But right now he's talking about we'll see what they actually do. They have a new general manager, and uh, they'll have a new general manager, and they have a new baseball of uh, a president of baseball operations in Stearns, and we'll see how they handle it. But there was some talk around the deadline as they were selling off pieces, yes, while still spending to do so, to get better pieces from this Texas Rangers team when they sold off Max Scherzer. But a little bit of maybe a step back, maybe not giving every dollar. We'll see what happens in this offseason. I still expect them to spend, but a little bit of a talk like that. And certainly with the Yankees, the idea you don't need to spend $300 million to win a championship. You don't have to spend all this money. Look at how the Rays are doing it. And plus, all the money I put in, it goes into the pockets of the Pittsburgh Pirates, and it goes into the pockets of the Tampa Bay Rays and the Minnesota Twins and all these teams who spend less money than I spend and yet compete with me for a championship. And it's not right, and it's not fair, and all the complaining. And you shouldn't have to do this, and you shouldn't have to spend money. Well, the Texas Rangers went out there and turned around a team that lost 100 games two years ago, went out and got Simeon, went out and got Seager from the Los Angeles Dodgers, who's an absolute stud and has now won his second World Series MVP. Only him and Reggie Jackson have now won it for two different teams and two different franchises. You go out and you get great players, plain and simple. Now, I'll argue with all, all day and long. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. We were having the same conversation about the Philadelphia Phillies. Look at what the Phillies did. They go out and get Harper. They go out and get Castellanos. They go out and spend big money. And yet they came home with a 3-2 to two lead in their own building after dominating in that building for game after game in the postseason and eating up the Atlanta Braves like the Braves were afraid to show up in that building. And yet they still collapsed to the Arizona Diamondbacks. So it's a little bit about spending money, of course. Go out there and build the team the right way. Go out there and put great players in your lineup. Go out there and 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 bring great, young, talented players to your franchise. But it's also about guys who just perform well. On some level, you have to get guys who show up in the big moments. And it's hard to figure out. It's not easy. But you look at it when you have a World Series MVP in Seager. Like, that's what I said yesterday in my Open. When I was talking about the what baseball, Seager is the one that disappoints me the most for the Yankees because he fit the bill at shortstop, which they desperately needed. Left-handed hitter, young, athletic, excellent defensively at the most important position on the field, arguably, and someone who's proven it. Okay, maybe it was in a, a strike a strike shortened, a COVID shortened season, and I think he even made a comment in the post game about winning a real championship, which I'm sure is just bitterness towards LA for letting him go. But there's something about players who've already performed and done it on the highest level. Nathan Avaldi is a perfect example. Nathan Avaldi somehow still gets roped in to Yankee fans being upset as he's a former Yankee. Like, get over it. It was 15 and 16. He wasn't very good for them. He had Tommy John surgery. The idea that you would get on the Yankees for not having uh, uh, Nathan Avaldi still on this team is ridiculous. But the point being, since 2018, you can look at his regular seasons and you can be impressed you can be disappointed he gets hurt a lot whatever the case may be Nathan Avoldi is a proven stud starting pitcher in the postseason he had five wins in this postseason becoming one of a handful of guys to do it three wins in closeout games one of only three other gentlemen to do it including Andy Pettit who did it in 09 and you know when he's on the mound he is going to pitch great Nathan Avoldi 
is turning into one of the great postseason pitchers of all time. Who would have thought? Who would have thunk it? Who would have saw it coming? But those are the guys you go target. Those are the guys you take a chance on. Those are the guys you bring to your team. You spend a little bit extra, maybe for a guy who had a four ERA last year, maybe for a guy who's had multiple Tommy Johns, maybe for a guy who you've seen. You know, at times, not be able to get through a season or struggle at times, it doesn't matter. Because when you expect to be there, especially in this new playoff format, when you expect to be there with the amount of money you spend elsewhere, especially if you're a Texas Ranger team looking to spend all the money, if you're a New York Met team obviously looking to spend all the money, and if you're a New York Yankee team looking to have this past season without being in the postseason, the last time in a long time that you have to deal with that, you take chances on guys who perform in the biggest moments. And Nathan Avoldi is one of those guys. And Corey Seager is proving out to be one of those guys. And this Texas Ranger team and the way it was built by Chris Young, who was an executive who spurned the Mets. Sandy Alderson wanted to bring him in. He chose to go and go out and uh, to out to Arlington and take over the Texas Rangers. And slowly but surely, even not that slow, over the last two years, has turned a 100-loss team into a 68- or 70-win team last year into a World Series champion this year. And they did it attacking and spending money and bringing in great players. And then even, you know, going out and getting a DeGrom, the best pitcher in baseball, who ultimately can't stay healthy. And I'm curious, Mets fans, how you feel about the idea that, you know, there was some talk about when he leaves the great player of your franchise. A lot of you were okay with it. I was kind of pissed off at how okay Mets fans were that DeGrom left and how much they were willing to give the benefit of the doubt, and how the talk was, well, you know, he's injured all the time, good riddance, and, oh, he's, he's, he doesn't even care about winning. He's going to the lousy Texas Rangers. Do you remember that conversation? Matt fans, do you remember that conversation when you turned on SMY the night of that trade? And you had to hear everyone on the panel talk about, he's spurning the, he, he doesn't want to stay with the Mets, and he's going to play for the lousy 70-win Texas Rangers. <laughs> what a loser. Well, that loser didn't even have to pitch to win a World Series, and he's celebrating tonight. So we'll find out how Met fans feel, if that really bothers you as a Met fan, to know that now the greatest pitcher of this generation, certainly, and one of the greatest players in your franchise history over the last 30 years, has won a championship. Now he has nothing to do with it. That's what makes it uh, an interesting conversation. But we'll get to it. Same thing with Max Scherzer, who I'm sure is celebrating well into this morning. Because that's what Max Scherzer does, even though he has absolutely nothing to do with this championship for the most part. But the Texas Rangers went out and did a lot of things right. Attack and free agency. Bring up young prospects and trust them. A lot of the things the Yankee fans in particular have been clamoring for. Go bring in the great player, and then if you're not or you're going to trust on a young prospect, bring him up and let him play and trust him. Now, they've done that with Volpe. They haven't done it with Peraza. They haven't done it with some other players over the last handful of years. They did it with the Baby Bombers, and it failed, and they've been chasing it ever since. But this team spends money in the right spots, brings in the right guys, trusts their young prospects, and it's led to a championship. And then the other thing is the manager and Bruce Bochy. And hands down, now this is his fourth championship. He's taken three separate franchises to the World Series. He won three as a San Francisco Giant, and now he's won his fourth championship in his first year with Texas. And he turned a 70-win team, roughly the same, quite honestly. All right, they add Montgomery at the trade deadline. All right, they go out and add Avaldi, who obviously impacted this postseason. But a lot of the pieces and some of the young prospects that came up and Seager just flat out played better. Seager was a 240 hitter last year. He's a 330 hitter this year and winning World Series MVPs. So that's part of it too. But when you look at the manager of this team, 
Like, I think it's completely overblown, and people are going to get into it, and that's fine, about, well, that's because he's a real manager. He's not a data applicator, to quote Salicata. He's not a data applicator. He's not told what to do by the front office. He's a real manager, and that's why they win. And I think that totally skates over the fact that Bruce Bochy just happens to be a brilliant freaking manager. It's not just that he is somehow untethered and he is now, you know, Pinocchio with no strings to hold him down. I think that's absolute nonsense. I think he's doing the same thing that almost every other manager in baseball is doing, and that's working hand-in-hand with the front office of his team, going over almost every decision, and then being left to his own devices come game time. But you are, whatever the case may be, franchises need to take a look. And this isn't just the Yankees, and it isn't just the Mets as they prepare to hire a manager, and we'll get into some of the candidates that have been out there that the Mets are starting to look at to, uh, to be the leader of their franchise. It's not just about how the operation works. And it's not just about, you know, you can't just plug in anybody who you think is a great communicator who can establish and, and, and enforce your philosophy and somehow turn it hip and cool and get it to relate to these young players. It's much more than that. It's much more than that. While we all know that's not going anywhere and a collaboration with the front office is part of the new era of baseball and it's not going anywhere, it's not going anywhere with the Yankees and it's not going anywhere with the Mets, these these managers need to work hand-in-hand and be comfortable doing so. But it is about getting an impact manager. These guys do make a difference. And especially in the postseason, there's no doubt about it. And we can argue about what Boone is. We can argue about whoever the the Mets hired. I mean, I think everyone thinks Buck's a great manager, right? Buck is one of these guys untethered like Pinocchio. And he's a real boy. And he's going to manage the way he wants to manage. And yet... 101 win season lets absolutely nothing in the postseason and then had a miserable season. It's not just about the idea of being your own man and being able to do what you want. It's about being a damn good baseball man and being a good manager. And something about Bruce Bochy brings out the best of his players in the postseason. And he had enormous impact on this team. And there's no doubt about it. And so when you're building a baseball team and the Mets are about to make this decision, you need to look at what the Texas Rangers just the Texas Rangers just did. All right, it's 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 a nice story to look at some of the like it's 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 you can look at other teams. Obviously, the Diamondbacks are in the World Series, and we could talk about how they play small ball and how they don't spend a lot of money and the different people that they managed to have step up and the franchise they did. And I'm sure their manager is for the most part viewed as someone who is probably leaning more towards a data applicator than a manager like Bruce Bo- Bruce Bochy, who's a hundred years old. But you look at the Texas Rangers and how they just absolutely steamrolled, won 11 consecutive, won all of their road games, and absolutely pounded the baseball and pitched their way to a championship. They did it by spending money. They did it by trusting their farm system and developing their players. And they did it being led by a manager who'd been there before, who's an excellent baseball man, and who knows how to relate to baseball players, young, old, or anything other. The manager makes a difference, spending the money makes a difference, and investing in your farm system and then trusting it makes a difference. And that's how this Texas Ranger group ended up becoming world champions for the first time in their history. So we'll get into the football, obviously. 
as the Giants have an important game in my estimation. Yes, the season's over. Yes, I don't trust them to make the playoffs. But at the trade deadline, they made a decision. They made a decision that Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley and figuring out this offense and this team is still important heading into next season and the rest of this year. Well, what would it say if they lose to an f- interim head coach and a rookie quarterback? So we'll get to that. We have plenty of time to get to the Jets who play Monday. But I want to hear about what you think about this baseball season, what you think about our teams moving forward and how to build a team, and specifically Met fans, just real quick, how do you feel about Jacob deGrom, Max Scherzer winning championships when they really don't have much to do with it? How do you feel about, in particular, Jacob deGrom? Had, were you, the minute he was gone, did you forget about him? Does it bother you at all? Is it obviously much easier to swallow that he had nothing to do with it? Do you feel good for him? I'm curious. Because honestly, of all the things that have happened and all the reactions the Met fans have had over the last few years while I've been in this business and doing shows, I've never been more disappointed in the Met fan than the disdain they seem to show after their great player who won two Cy Youngs and did everything for them, chose another team, and almost the vitriol shown his way. It kind of bothered me. And now he's world champion. And now the season's over and we can start this offseason and maybe the Yankees will actually talk and maybe the Mets will actually hire a GM and maybe the Mets will actually hire a manager and we can go about building these teams. Oh, and by the way, it looks like something happened in San Diego that might just make you think that a particular outfielder may become available. We'll get to that as well. McMonagle here with you on the fan, 877-337-6666. We have three hours to get to it. We'll get to the football. We start with the baseball. We'll get to the Knicks as well, who look tired. And there's a theme here to start the season and why they've gotten off to a slow start. And it's pretty obvious. And I'm looking at one player. Daniel Jones brings his team to the line. In his first playoff start, he played like a great player tonight. When this happened, you talked about it on the fan. And the New York Giants are on to Philadelphia to take on the Eagles. When New York sports happens, talk about it here. The Fan, 1019 FM, and always live on the free Odyssey app. All right, we're on the way here on this Thursday morning. McMonagle here with you, 877-337-6666. I'm so frustrated with the football. We went with the opening with the baseball because you know what? It is the end of the World Series, and that starts the offseason. And that means we can actually start talking about these two teams. But just one day before we can, because these World Series, amazingly enough, do impact both these teams, and there's talking points and things to you know, get riled up about in particular. And for the Mets, I mentioned it, Jacob deGrom. You know, Evan talked about it, and I was with Evan uh, working on the Carton and Roberts show at the time of, of – the signing where DeGrom went to Texas. And, you know, not to knock SNY, I think they do a tremendous job, but, you know, they had a... They went on a absolute pop propaganda show after the signing. Like, that's just... I turned, I turned on SNY, and it's just... I could not stop... All they were doing was bad-mouthing Jacob DeGrom. I, I, could, not, I could not fathom what was going on. Um, and it ended up being a smart move to not sign him. He got hurt. But I remember Evan and I talking about the fear of him going there and succeeding and winning a championship. Now, he's done that, but he didn't contribute at all. He had Tommy John surgery. 
So you're justified in not signing him, right? Everyone who thought it was a terrible idea to give him that contract ended up being right. Uh, the talking point of him, the talking point of him choosing Texas as a loser move, ended up being a wrong talking point because Texas just won the World Series without him. So imagine what they would have done with him. I guess you can't do much better. So they might have won the division, I'm assuming. But and who knows? They might have got it tripped up in the postseason. Baseball's crazy, believe it or not. You might think it's 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 easy it's easy to predict who's going to win these things. I'm sorry, it's not. To act like you knew Texas Rangers were going to be a, a, a an absolute force in this postseason and not lose a road game, okay, you knew it. You knew it. I'm sure you did. I believe you. But to trade away Scherzer, so to have the DeGrom situation where he now, as your fran- the face of your franchise for the last 20 years, has now won a championship somewhere else, although nothing to do with it, and then you trade away Max Scherzer in the offseason, someone who you thought was going to help put you over the hump, who was a driving force behind a 101-win season and having one of the better regular seasons you have had in forever to go along with the new owner, to go along with the good feels, to go along with Buck Walter, was one of the driving forces to 101 wins. And then the absolute cause for the downfall of that 101-win season by blowing in Atlanta in the end of the regular season, being booed off the mound in the wild card series against the San Diego Padres, and being awful that night, and then following it up by being awful for them to start the year with a myriad of miserably stupid excuses all at the start of the season, and was, was to me, along with Verlander not being there because of injury, but Scherzer and that starting pitching staff, namely Max, being absolutely dreadful to start the year, and especially in June, led to the June swoon that led to the cause to the end of the season. You trade him away to the Texas Rangers. You add, you eat most of his contract to get back a prospect that we all hope will be something in Acuna, who hopefully he's a you know a half of what his brother is and it'll be worth it. But you trade him away to the Texas Rangers. He hardly pitches for them. When he does pitch in the postseason, either he gets lit up or gets taken out of the game because of injury. He's pretty much everything you figured he would be. And yet still, I see the, I go to ESPN, and what's the picture on ESPN of the Texas Rangers winning the championship? There's Max Scherzer holding up the commissioner's trophy, loud and proud, up in the air. You saw him celebrating. I mean, I'm just curious. Like, does that bother you at all? I don't think it does. I, I, I mean, it... It, it's it's almost so ridiculous, it's laughable. Like, I, la- I chuckle when I see it. It kind of annoys me a little bit, but I chuckle when I see it. Doesn't it also have to make you lose any respect that might have still been lingering for ESPN? <laughs> like, that's the image you choose, well, that really? Well, that was one of them when I clicked. To be fair, when I clicked on ESPN, the picture is them on the mound celebrating. When I clicked on the story, one of the pictures was Max Scherzer. He was the only one with the trophy. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. Find, you know, somebody who played yeah, in the, no. you know, or contributed holding the trophy. Well, I mean, you know, well, listen, good for Max, right? The end of his career justifies his Hall of Fame cha- uh, career with another championship that he had absolutely nothing to do with. Like, we were talking about and He's not... This is not Montgomery, certainly not Evaldi, who has really just become, you know, he's he's Madison Bumgarner, but with different franchises. I mean, it's 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 unbelievable what he Nathan started Evaldi, six games. His team won all of them, and yep. Max Scherzer's acting like he's that guy. Yes, exactly right, exactly right. Does it bother you or no? Do you laugh at it, or is it bothering you? Today? I laugh at it because it would have bothered me if he contributed anything, anything remotely positive to this run. Yeah, he didn't. Yeah. Like, he barely pitched for the Rangers, and when he did pitch, he was a disaster. He was the 
he was what made him maybe come close to losing some games yeah. to the Astros. Yeah. No, it's true. It's a it's it's a it's a fun little thing. And then you get to the just, he just gives us such incredible loser energy. He does, he gives off loser vibes. There's no he's the opposite of BD energy right now. He definitely is. He's 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 got this, I mean, look, he's a Hall of Famer. No one's taken it away from him. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's one of the great pitchers of the generation. But And it's funny, too, now because he has won two championships. And he was, I mean, Strasburg was the story of that 19 team. He was the one who really stepped up and was brilliant for them. But Scherzer pitched fairly well, and it was a major part of the championship. And he was gr- but, like he was a great part of that team in the regular correct. season. He was a of huge course, part of the team. Of course, of course. And I'm, he literally added. I'm not trying close to nothing for the Texas Rangers. This of year. course, of course. But what I'm saying is, is my point was, is if you look at it, like the to be the one of the f- the great pitchers of the generation, and now end his career with this kind of moniker of being bad in in big games, and then you look at the other great starting pitcher of the generation in Kershaw who's won a championship but his moniker and his MO is certainly to be one of the you know no show terrible big game pitchers of his generation despite being a great Hall of Fame first ballot Hall of Fame pitcher both of these guys you could argue that they are the two best pitchers of this generation and while Scherzer didn't have it to start he certainly has it now and Kershaw's been dealing with it his whole entire career. Both of those pitchers, it's not like Bob Gibson. It's not like some of the, the great pitchers of, of earlier generations who are not only known for being great during the regular season, but great come postseason time. These, you know, Sandy Koufax, uh, Bob Gibson, like the great pitchers of each generation. Randy Johnson and what he did in the postseason, coming out of the bullpen, winning World Series, you know, out of the bullpen. Uh, Kurt Schilling. Like, some of the great pitchers of their generations always performed. And you look at this generation. It's just a little side-talking point. I'm going on a rant here. But you could argue the two biggest pitchers of the generation are now starting to have the moniker of big, uh, terrible in big games and should have been should have won more. Although Max does get a second championship for another franchise. But then you clearly get to the Yankee point of this and how much bitterness comes from the Yankee fan towards the Texas Rangers, and the four guys who there is a picture, they're standing on, if you haven't seen this on uh, Twitter or wherever you see these things, there is a picture of the four former Yankees together taking a picture with the trophy. Andrew Heaney, uh, Chapman, Montgomery, and Nathan Avoldi, the four former Yankees. And, I mean, it just drives me nuts. I, I, I know I get the moniker of Yankee Defender. Montgomery, I get. They traded away Montgomery. And while I'll try to justify the trade slightly and the idea that, yeah, okay, I understand Bader's no longer with the team, but Bader was a monster in that postseason. That counts for something for me. I know know they didn't make it to the World Series, but they traded away a pitcher, which, by the way, they also never said he's not a postseason pitcher. Like, that's the the narrative is Brian Cashman, the Yankees, said Montgomery is not a postseason pitcher. They never said that. He pitched for them and won a game for them in the 2020 postseason. It's not like they've avoided pitching him in the postseason. That particular team, they thought they had four better options than Montgomery. They might have been wrong, but they certainly didn't say, we don't see Montgomery as ever being a postseason pitcher. He's a bum, so we're getting rid of him. They felt they needed another outfielder more than they needed a fifth starter, which is how they viewed him for that team. And you know what? That's how I viewed him for that team. But I still thought he was valuable, and we all hoped that he could turn into the pitcher he's turned into now. But they did get Bader, who had a 1.2 OPS. But never mind. At least I understand that. 
He's pitching in the World Series winning championships. Bader's no longer on the team. Player for player, it's not even close. Montgomery is a far better player than Bader. I get being annoyed as a Yankee fan at that. How could you be annoyed Andrew Heaney is not a Yankee? He was terrible. He had like a 13 ERA. I remember laughing when the Dodgers gave him a $9 million contract the next year, thinking, you're going to give this guy $9 million? He can't pitch. Nathan Avoldi had a 430 ERA with the Yankees over the course of two seasons, got hurt at the end of his tenure and needed a second Tommy John surgery. Like He ended up becoming great afterwards, but I don't understand why you would hold that against the Yankees. And then the last one is Chapman. And I'm sorry. You want to get on the Yankees for not turning Chapman back and and turning the clock back the way I, I suppose the Rangers did, although he was teetering on almost every appearance and got double plays miraculously. But he was throwing 104 miles an hour and certainly looked better with the Rangers than he has over the last two or three years with the New York Yankees. But this is a player who quit on the New York Yankees. Flat out quit. Heading into the postseason last year, they wanted him to come down and throw a bullpen and just show them that he was okay before they put him on the postseason roster. I mean, I guess you want to say he had to audition for a postseason roster. Okay, you were terrible the entire year. They wanted you to come down and throw a little bit to prove you were worthy of a roster spot, and he chose not to show up. So I'll have words with any Yankee fan who's upset or all this Chapman. If you want to use that against them, whatever. I was so glad he was a million miles away from this team. God bless him. Whatever. He turned, he got better. He won a champ. He's now won a championship with the Rangers. Fine. Fine. God bless him. Good luck. I'm so glad he was nowhere near the Yankees. But that's what we do. We look at these teams and we find out what they're doing that the Yankees aren't. And you know what the answer is? Quite honestly, it's very simple. I can tell you exactly what the Rangers have done that the the Yankees don't do. Look at the lineup. They have far better hitters up and down the lineup. That's the problem. That's the problem. They have far better hitters. Their lineup is far better. The Yankees need to turn some things around, and we'll get to what the Yankees can do moving forward. 877-337-6666, because there was some news out of San Diego last night that maybe, just maybe, indicates on a particular outfielder being moved. And the Yankees need to do it. Bob in Long Island, what's up, Bob? All right, I'm talking to my man here, McAdoo. What's up, buddy? Uh, That outfielder left about $350 on the table, I think, uh, his, his agent should have his head examined. Um, and I think San Diego is going to take that three-year rental from him. You know, they're, gonna, they're not going to get rid of him. They'll entertain office. But why should you get rid of him? He's a power hitter. What do you mean by three-year rental? Well, they got him in 20, 2022. So it's like two and a half years. But they got okay. him in 2022. All right, so, yeah, but did you hear the story that came out of San Diego last night or yesterday? About them? No, but I know. I know he's on the – go ahead. Yeah, they they had to borrow about – we'll get into it later. They had to borrow about $50 million to to make good on, on payments, including uh, some salary, including payroll. Uh, so uh, they, okay. it seems like the money situation is finally – because it never made sense, the amount of money San Diego Padres spent. It never made sense. The amount of money well, they take well, in, the market they're in, it never made sense to just endlessly have 11-year, $250 million contracts readily available for everybody – who hits free agency. I mean, it just never made any sense. So we'll see what they do. But theoretically, payroll-wise, they may need to get rid of him. 
Right. Well, I, I remember one of the owners, there's a couple of guys, three, four guys on that team. I remember one of them, I think he's from New York, too. He's being interviewed. And to me, it sounded like he was going for broke. But everything you just said is correct. The market, the, the money that comes in. I mean, we don't know all about everything, the TV money and everything, but it wasn't matching up with the payroll of that team. They were bringing a lot of guys in. They just re-signed Manny. So uh, they're going to probably get a loan from Major League Baseball. They'll probably bring in some small-time owners to prop up the team financially. But I, I just think right now they really want to win a World Series, these guys. They, you know, they signed business and they said, listen, Bryce Harper, we get on Bryce Harper's uh, the Yankees case with Harper. Harper supposedly has the smartest agent on the planet. He didn't give him an out clause. Manny has an out, had an out clause and says, I'm going to do it right away. They tacked on a few extra years and they put on, it's like, um, now it's like almost five or four hundred million. Yeah, I, I, I'm, from what I understood, Harper talked about that. Harper didn't want an out clause. Harper wanted to just sell. He wanted to come to a team and devote himself to that team in that city. That's how he put it. I don't know if that's window dressing after. Uh, not being able to get one in his contract, but he makes he made it seem like he wanted to come to a city, devote himself, and not have the option of an out. He wanted to make it work wherever he was going. But that's neither here no, nor there. No, the no, but the problem with Harper was Harper, if you remember, was bent on being the highest paid player. Remember they were playing the cat and mouse game. It took he till February to sign him. Yeah, it took a long time to sign. Right, because he was waiting because he was waiting for Manny to sign. And then whatever Manny signed for, he wanted twenty million more, twenty five million more. Mm-hmm. And I, to me, I don't see how bar is to leave it out. That doesn't mean you're going to leave the team. It just means you have the option of getting more money from that team if you put he's put on a good performance the last couple of years. And they got him at the prime time. He was twenty six years old as a free agent. We know he got beat by the uh, by the Nationals because they brought him up in May, and they also got beat by Major League Baseball because they made him jump through hoops to be eligible for the draft when foreign players can get signed at 16 years old. But basically, Boris is supposed to be the top guy. He should know to put outs in there. I would know to do that because then you just can get more money. But anyway, Chris, you've done a great job. But do me one favor, kid. Go for singing lessons. You have stage presence. We live in an age now people will not praise you. They'll be jealous of you. Yeah. I'm telling you. The haters come. I've seen videos of you on the stage and everything singing. You have presence. All you need are the songs where you have an ear for that song. Don't have to have the greatest voice. But if you can sing that song and be a presence on the stage, go for it, man. There's a lot of jealous people out there today. That's just the way it is. It's the truth. It's I hear you, Bob. No, I appreciate it. You know, I appreciate guys it. in the newsroom right now, they want to come in there and they want to tie you up and oh. take over the show. Yeah, of course. No, I understand that. There, are, No, not only that, just, I mean... The, the the mentions on social media, it's amazing. You know, when I was the lovable fat kid on Carton and Roberts, everybody liked me. <laughs> everybody seemed to like me when I was, you know, getting attacked by Craig and fighting back and defending myself, having funny moments, you know, defending myself for eating $12 shrimp. Like, I, not, it was, social media was kind to me. Every message I got was you know, terrific. I love you on the show. I'd go down to the Jersey Shore, and it was just, oh, amazing. Big Mac, you're the best. I love you. Now every time, now every time, WFM puts a story about one of my my opinions, it's just like, what a hack! Why is this guy still on the radio? It's amazing. But you're right; they're probably jealous of my singing voice. Which, again, I'm telling you right now, I understand your point about my presence. I, I would, when people ask me, well, do you really think you could sing? This is what I think: I would be an excellent Danny Zuko on a Norwegian cruise ship. Your aunt and your uncle would come back going, yeah, the cruise was nice, but I'll tell you, they had a performance of Greece. 
There was a chubby Danny Zuko. That kid was incredible. That would be me. Rocco in Saratoga. What's up, Rocco? Hey, good evening, Danny. What's, what's up, buddy? Yeah, that's right. Come on, let's go. With me. You want to join the T-Birds? Let's go. Let's go. Let's rock it, dude. I can do it. Yep. Summer wind him blowing <laughs> Oh, that's, that's Sinatra. Yeah, you know it. I love Frank. Come on. Who yeah. doesn't love, Who doesn't love Frank? Frank? Like, come on. Come on, right? See, uh-huh. Mac, you got to do some Frank. Yeah, I do Frank from time to time. Yeah, you got to do Joe Pisca. No, Joe Piscopo does the best. Yeah, he does a good impression. Hey, he called me up a couple of weeks ago. Joe Piscopo did. Yeah, yeah, serious. I'm not BS. I believe you. Yeah, hey, people know me. Cousin Brucey is coming up to my house with his wife, Jody. Nice. I invited them up, and they're going to have a glass of wine. But Cousin Brucey's a little jealous because when I invited them up, his wife, Jody, said, he asked her, said, you want to go up to Saratoga, Jody? And she said, yes! And, she, and cousin said, wait a minute. I got it. Is there something going on here? You know, as a Yeah, no, sure. Listen, I'm sure he's not the only guy who's worried about their wives around you, Rocco. Uh, you know it. Yeah, I, you know I was it. at Pianti's, and the waitress goes to me, says, can I just tell you you look like Ralph Lauren? I said, Really? That's not the first time someone's told me that. I have guy next to me. Yeah. No, the guy next to me, she said, looked like Woody Howson. Said, yeah, you look like Woody Howson, but Rocco Woody Harrelson. Like- yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah. Listen, hey, that I makes look, sense. Hey, I didn't say, hey, see, Mac, yeah. I didn't say it. Right, come on. I, I hear was at you. Saratoga Rock- Lake, and a guy insisted <laughs> I was Ralph Lauren. I said, would Ralph Lauren be driving a Honda Accord? That's my car over there. He said, no, no. I know you want to be incognito. I got you. I know you want. Yeah. And and I have my sons on, my white shirt. But maybe Uh, that's the Ralph uh, Lauren look. I had to sign an autograph to get rid of this guy. I got you. You got to point. Rocco, I get it. I get it. You got to point on DeGrom. Okay. Hey, see, Mac. Yeah. No. First of all, Mac is a fraud. He didn't do anything for Texas, and he's holding up the trophy like he's yeah. the man? Yeah. Oh, come on. No, he was, he, he was He was holding it, He was holding it up like uh, Rafiki holding up Simba in, Aladdin, in uh, Lion King. I'm, I'm not kidding. But, hey, he won the championship, so who are we a bunch of haters? But, yeah, I, I listen, he did nothing for this team. I mean, he left, he left with a back injury. He left with he, he squinting Tossing and turning and making sure everybody saw that his back was bothering him. I mean, he sure does like to celebrate. I'll give him that. Listen, he enjoys life. Who am I to tell him not to? But he did absolutely nothing for this championship. Nothing. Franklin in Kingston. What's up, Franklin? Hey, Mac. Uh, just want to comment. You asked some questions about Mets fan. I'm a big Mets fan. Yes. Mets fan. Long time. Yeah, I don't care about the players. Once they leave the uniform and the team, I don't care. The Grom, you know, go ahead and celebrate. Scherzer, go ahead and celebrate. I don't care once they leave the team. But that's my opinion. All right, so you have no, you have no feels about it whatsoever. The Grom, the face of Nothing, your franchise, literally. won two Cy yeah. Youngs, was the best pitcher in baseball for a three-year period, and unfortunately, the talk about him mainly was that I remember taking calls from fans who were just wanted him traded so that he he because he deserved better, and he was losing all these games. He couldn't win any games. He would throw, you know. Eight innings, one run, and lose one nothing over and over again. They couldn't get any run support for him, and then, you know, he leaves, 
and he goes to a team that wins a championship. Doesn't bother you at all that he's celebrating today? No, I always I find that strange that people have that the Grom attachment. You know, once you're, you're playing for the team, and but once you're done, that's it. You're not contributing to the team anymore. Well, so. I understand that, but he was. I, I mean, he's, a, he's not just he's not just a, a nobody. Like you know, he's he was the face. That's like you know when. I'll because I'll be honest with you, and this isn't even the same boat necessarily, and it's it's completely different because Degrom was the greatest in the league that didn't win. While like say Andy Pettit is the the, the example I'm going to use. Andy yeah. Pettit was a, a a great pitcher for the Yankees and an overall very good pitcher, but had won right. championships with me. I got to tell you, I hated seeing him in an Astros uniform in the World Series. I hate it. Why does that bother you? They're not playing for the Yankees anymore. Because I don't know. I just I, he shouldn't have ever left and it's it just it's it's hard to watch someone you identify so much as your guy. Like that's the thing. Like Met fans, I can't imagine like not feeling like Jacob DeGrom was your guy. And I and I and I guess I hold it against you because the sentiment the minute he left was he was never it felt like eh Good riddance. He's always hurt. Forget about him. I don't care. God, you know, see you later. Oh, and oh, and by the way, and you're going to choose a lousy Texas Ranger team? What a loser. Like, that was the sentiment when the organization who now had the owner who makes more money than anybody, who, who has more money than any owner in baseball, could could bring on anybody. If he wanted DeGrom, DeGrom would be here. That's the other talking about. He didn't want to be in New York. I don't know if he didn't want to be in New York or not. I'm sure there's something to that. I don't think it's completely made up. Rumors are his wife didn't want to be here. I'm sure there's there's elements of truth to that. I think maybe if everything considered, everything equal, he would have rather have left, I suppose. But I don't think it was, I'm never staying. I, ju- I just refuse to believe that. I don't think it was, there's no chance I'm staying, nothing you could do, I'm gone. The Mets didn't want him just as much, if not more, than he did not want to be a Met. And if I was a Met fan, I would have been a little bit more pissed off about it than than feeling like good riddance, what a loser for picking the Texas Rangers, you know, see you in last place, buddy, while we're, you know, about to go and build on a 101-win season and win the World Series. We'll go get Verlander and be better off for it later, loser. Like, that was the feeling. That was the feeling I got was later, loser, we'll get Verlander and be better for it. Go play with the lousy Texas Rangers. Well, now those lousy Texas Rangers, without him, won a championship, amazingly enough. But he had nothing to do with it. But looking at the, I mean, what's, and and that's what makes, I mean, what this Texas Rangers team did special. Like, if you look at it, this Texas Rangers team and what they spent and the money they, like, Seager was with this team last year. Simeon was with this team last year. Their big move in the offseason was to get Jacob DeGrom. He didn't play for them. They added Nathan Ovaldi, who we knew could do this if he got here, but there's no guarantee he gets here, and there's no guarantees really any sort of great regular season pitcher, which he was for them this year, certainly in the first half before he got hurt. He was incredible for them, and he's really turned into one of the better pitchers and more trustworthy pitchers when healthy in all of baseball, and certainly in the postseason now. Started six games. They won all six. He went 5-0. and oh. And he won three closeout games, matching Andy Pettit in 09. I mean, and considering what he did for the 18 uh, Red Sox, uh, it's just he's become the great star. He's become the great playoff performing starting pitcher of this 
last decade since Madison Bumgarner did it for the San, for the San Francisco Giants when he was everything for them. When he was beating the Mets in the wild card game, when he was coming out of relief to beat the Royals in games uh, in, in the World Series, like. That, that's what Nathan Avaldi has become. Nathan Avaldi coming out of the bullpen, even though he didn't win, doing yeoman's work and being unbelievable in extra innings against the Dodgers in 2018. I mean, now, and that's five years ago. So, I mean, he's aged five years. He's had multiple Tommy Johns over the course of his career. He's missed plenty of time. He was on the IL this season. It doesn't matter. You get to the postseason and you have Nathan Avaldi on your team, you have an ace. Those are the guys that you have to find and bring here. Like, it's not easy to predict. I go on about this all the time with the New York Yankees and the Mets, for that matter. It's not easy to predict who's going to perform in the postseason. It's just not. Like, the Yankees, uh, excuse me, the Mets, right, for the Mets fans, you get to the wild card series against the San Diego Padres, and they have this vaunted lineup. They have Manny Machado. They have Juan Soto. Who kills you? Grissom. A lowly hitting center fielder is the guy who absolutely kills you. Like, how do you know that's going to happen? Trent Grisham, how do you know that's going to happen? Did Trent Grisham turn around and sign a big contract? Is he going to be, you know, highly sought of in Major League Baseball because he had a great postseason that year? And by the way, he he went on to the next round and played great too. He just had a great postseason. That's impossible to predict who's going to do that for you. But when you see it over and over again, which is my point about this Yankee team, over and over again, these guys have underachieved and underperformed in the postseason. It's time to change who they are. It's time to change fundamentally what's going on with that lineup and pitch. They need a lot of work. And now it's time that the season is now officially over. We better hear from Hal soon. And we better hear from Brian Cashman soon, assuming he's still the general manager, which is a foregone, one of the easier assumptions you'll ever make. But still, we haven't heard word. I'm assuming we would have heard if he was out. But We need to hear from them. We need to hear what they felt about last year, the problems with last year, the failures of last year, and now what they're going to do to change. they got this audit coming. Every every other day there's another story about this audit, whether or not it's why hasn't it happened yet, what kind of audit is it, are they really internally reviewing things, are they just looking at other teams and then make decisions, why are they having internal meetings without the review. I mean, it's just nonsense. The only thing we know for sure is that they're going to need a new hitting coach. And Sean Casey, the former hitting coach, went on his podcast and said the Yankees desperately need Juan Soto. And I tend to agree. 877-337-6666. We still got to do that as we'll get to the story coming out of San Diego and what that could mean for the Yankees. We'll get to the Knicks. But on the other side, we'll do a little bit of football as we get ready for a football Sunday in a game for me that the New York Giants season might be dead, but they made a a statement with not trading Saquon Barkley. They made a statement about how they view the rest of this season and how they view what this team needs to be with Dable leading it, Daniel Jones at quarterback, and Saquon Barkley at running back. And they're about to play a game where they have no excuses. I understand Daniel Jones hasn't played in a while. I understand he's coming off injury. They're about to head into a game that they absolutely are capable of winning and they absolutely are capable of putting on a performance that harkens back to last year and not the slop we've been seeing this season. And if we don't see it, what does that say about this coach, this GM, and the tandem of the quarterback 
and the running back. 